Let's open our Bibles over to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Some of you will think I'm crazy by what I'm about to say, but I, I don't care. And, and by the way, if you have a problem with what I'm about to say, just forget that I said it then afterwards, okay? <laughs> One of my favorite movies, you know, everybody has opinions. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Babe. How many of you have ever seen Babe? Oh, most of you have, Okay. The rest of you are too dignified. I know, I get that. You're the ones who need to forget that I'm saying this, okay? Anyways, there's a scene in Babe where Babe goes into the house when he shouldn't be there. And of course, there's a, in, the, in that movie, there's this demon cat. Now, not all cats are that way. I understand that. So I'm not trying to be offensive to you cat lovers. But there's this demon cat and... Um, Anyway, so Babe comes in and the the cat's sleeping by the fire and, you know, the house is in order and everything's good. And then Babe makes this one little mistake and everything starts happening. The cat wakes up and the house is completely destroyed inside. There's paint everywhere. There's yarn. There's furniture. there's, There's broken dishes. There's everything you can imagine. And of course, the adults come home. And by the way, they were at church. They come home from church and they look and it's like, (gasps) and they look at it. And of course, because of uh, Babe had stepped through some of the paint that had spilled, their hoof print, there you go, I I knew it wasn't a foot. (laughs) That is kind of weird, isn't it? They call them pig's feet. (laughs) Pigs don't have feet. Anyways. It's a scene, and you remember it. Those of you who have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hopefully you, you, you do. But you know, it's amazing because everything was in order, and then a disaster takes place, and everything is chaotic. And so what do you need? You need somebody to come back to the picture to make things right again. And really, even though that is a very simple illustration there is a much graver, more serious thing that has taken place. I know Taylor sang this morning, it's not just a story, okay? Christmas is not just a story. It's an actual historical account. Now, a story, sometimes people today think, oh, story means something made up fiction. No, the Christmas story is not fiction, it's fact. It's a matter of history, okay? This happened in real time. This happened in the history of mankind where man basically because of his sin wrecked everything and then somebody comes later on in history to fix it. As a matter of fact, not only fix it but actually make it more than what it was before. And that's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've entitled this today, Much More Times Five. Much more times five. Uh, Romans chapter five and verse one, it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've already seen that in our study. We covered this last week. The therefore is there because it's referring back to the first four chapters of Romans on how we have seen the need of man and how man sinned and how he blew it and how the world has been falling apart ever since and how man is guilty and he's lost and condemned and he's in need of a savior. And that's exactly what God sent us through the promise. And the Lord Jesus Christ was that child of promise who came, grew up perfectly, went to the cross, made a payment for our sin, came back from the dead and offers eternal life. 
to anyone who would put their faith in him and what he did for them, he would give them everlasting life. Therefore being justified, declared right by faith in Jesus Christ is what it's saying. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody wants peace today. Listen, you're not gonna get peace through any politician. No politician can bring peace, not real peace. The only one who can bring it is the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse six, it says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Without strength, in other words, understand this. What Paul is getting at after chapter three, after chapter four, as we get into chapter five, without strength, what he's getting at is this. Mankind was and is incapable of saving himself. He does not have the ability, the strength to save himself from hell to heaven. Can't do it, can't do it, okay? Now you could be here this morning and and think, well, I think the way I get to heaven is by doing good deeds and I'm gonna live a moral life and I'm gonna try to be a good person, especially this time of the year and all these kind of things. Friend, you can't do it, okay? God requires absolute sinless perfection for you to get into heaven, and none of us are that way. You notice this without strength. This is why Jesus came, because we're without strength. He came because we couldn't, all right? It's just that simple. He came because we couldn't take care of it on our own. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, okay? But God commendeth or displayed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Do you see that? While we were yet sinners. In other words, in a, in a disaster, chaotic situation, one that was doom, one that was gloom, literally, literally, darkness, When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. All right, while we were yet sinners, you notice it's not a matter of cleaning up your life before God will let you come to him, okay? It isn't a matter of, okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I will cry, I will weep, I will promise, I will, God, I, I will do better, just save me, I will do better, I promise I will do better. Friend, you're missing the point. Jesus came because you can't. You can make all the promises you want, but you'll still break those promises because you're human. You're incapable of saving yourself, okay? We come just the way we are, lost sinners in need of a savior. And you're not going to be saved any other way until you get to that point. I like when we're sharing the gospel. I like emphasizing the people and and keeping in mind, listen, a person needs to understand they're lost before they're ever gonna get saved. If you don't understand your lost condition, you have no reason to put your faith in Christ to save you. If you don't understand you're drowning, You have no reason to cry out for help. We're lost, all of us. And we need to understand, we need somebody outside of ourselves to do it for us. Verse nine, again, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Why does it say blood? Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. But what we see in the rest of this chapter, five times we see 
the term much more. Do you see the first one there in verse nine? Much more than, okay. It is recorded five times. And also the word gift is recorded six times in chapter five. Now this is not an accident. God is trying to emphasize something to us. When things are repeated in the Bible and in life, right? People repeat things because they want you to remember them. Either that or they have a very short memory and they keep repeating it. But here, much more, it's, it's five times. And so what is the truth of these verses? God offers salvation to all mankind. Now, let me just say this before we move on, this issue of being justified by his blood. A couple verses I want to mention. The first point, though, in all of this is this. We are justified or declared righteous by his blood, not the practice of some religion. Nowhere does it say, therefore being justified by being a Baptist, we have peace with God. Therefore being justified by being a Methodist, we have peace. Therefore being justified by being a Pentecostal or a Lutheran or a Catholic. No, friend. It's the blood of Christ. What Jesus did on the cross is the only way we can be declared righteous. It's not a religion. It's a person who's the Savior. You could be a member of a bunch of denominations, and it won't get you one inch closer to heaven. Only the blood payment of Jesus Christ can bring salvation to you. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 22. It says this, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. All right? The term remission is is translated other places as forgiveness. God will not forgive you of your sin except you put your faith in the blood payment that Jesus made for your sins. The, the, The blood needed to be shed. When Jesus died on the cross, it says he poured out his blood. He shed his blood as the payment for our sins. You notice that without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Now listen, you know what that means? Think it, think through. It doesn't say without doing good works, there's no remission. It doesn't say without being baptized, there's no remission. Without going to church, there's no remission. Without being a nice person, keeping the commandments, no. It's the shedding of blood that brings forgiveness. That's what the Bible says. Back it up a little in verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves... But by his own blood, referring to Jesus, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, now watch this, eternal redemption, eternal redemption for us, okay? There's a lot of denominations today that believe you can get salvation and then lose it by misbehaving, all right? I had somebody email me this last, I got a lot of emails this last week from listeners, and um, Somebody emailed me and was asking me, do you know what the free Methodists believe? What the free Methodists believe? Now that's an oxymoron. If you hold to Methodist theology, you do not have freedom. Because the Methodists teach, you can put your faith in Christ, but if you don't behave after that, you can lose your salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. Once you've trusted Christ the Savior, his blood takes care of all your sin that you've done or ever will do wrong. You notice what kind of redemption he provides for us? Eternal 
redemption. You know what that means? If you're saved, you're saved forever. If you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all. Doesn't matter how you feel. This is the truth of it. You cannot lose true salvation. You can lose religion, but you can't lose true salvation. See, here's the truth. There are people who say, well, yeah, salvation's a gift that's only by faith in Christ. But if you, if you don't do this and don't do that, if you walk away from God, you lose your salvation. Okay, so what you're telling me is this. You're telling me that I need to be faithful to God to go to heaven. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. Well, yes, you are. Yes, you are. No, no, I'm just saying that if you really turn your back on God and you really get far, well, okay, I understand what you're saying, but listen, if you can lose your salvation, then how are you keeping your salvation? If you can lose it by misbehaving, you're keeping it by behaving. How do you get around that? Friends, we are saved by grace, undeserved, unmerited favor. Jesus did all the work. His blood provides eternal redemption for us. You are redeemed. You are delivered by the payment made, which is the blood of Christ. And if you trust in him, you are given eternal redemption, eternal salvation. That's why it's called eternal or everlasting life. It is through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross and the shedding of his blood that we have a payment for our sin. You see, the blood is important. I don't mean this disrespectfully, okay? But if Jesus simply would have been, let's say, uh, uh, hit by a car or mule or whatever, cart, and he would have died, it would not have taken care of it. The Bible says that he needed to die in our place. He was made a curse for us. The Old Testament says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He not only hung on the cross, suspended between earth and heaven to be that mediator that we need, he not only hung there to make that payment, but his blood was poured out as well. And this is perfectly fulfilling the will of God to where we have a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The blood is important. But through his blood, we have even more. You notice it says in verse um, 9, going back to um, Romans 5, much more than being now justified, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are eternally protected from wrath. Okay? I think there could be two aspects to that. As a matter of fact, I know there are. The first is this. You're protected from hell itself. Hell itself. Hell is a real place where people go where the wrath of God is poured out on them. Who goes there? Those who have not trusted in Christ as their only hope for heaven. You might say, well, what about, now listen, listen. I don't know any other way to be than just straightforward, friend. What about that person that lives their, all, their whole life? They're sincere. They're a good person. They do good things for people. They're, they're nice. They're a blessing to others. They're very thoughtful. They're sacrificial. And they're all those things. What about that person? Do you mean to say to me that if that person dies without trusting in Christ the Savior, they'll be lost forever in hell? Yes. Yes, because they do not have the righteousness of God imputed to their account. They may have a form of human righteousness, so to speak, but when we offer that up to God as our means of being accepted eternally in him, it's not acceptable 
it's not acceptable. It's filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6. Why do people fight this? God loves us. He's done all the work. All he's asking us to do is put our faith in Christ that he did it for us. And he'll save us forever. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath possesses that moment, everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but, notice this, the wrath of God abides, even now. The wrath of God abides on that person. Why? Because they do not have a payment for their sin. The only payment that's acceptable is the one Jesus made. You trust him as Savior, he gives you eternal life. Your sins are paid for, Let me put it this way. The sins have been paid for, but the payment's not put to your account until you trust in Christ as your Savior. Very important. But not only is it talking about the wrath of God referring to hell, it could also be talking about the wrath or the day of wrath, which is coming, which is the tribulation period. And I cannot but help that it's right around the corner. Seven years of time, Jesus said, are coming. And this is the worst time that the world has ever known. You might say, how bad is it? It's the worst time that the world has never known. If you want some details, read Revelation chapter 6 through 19 sometime, and it'll give you a clear picture of what is coming on the world. When the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the rebellious people of this earth, it's going to be awful. But the Bible tells us that the church not meaning a denomination, but the church meaning all those who have trusted Jesus as Savior, they are going to be caught up out of here, out of the world, to meet the Lord in the air. We call it the rapture of the church. And we're going to live with the Lord forever before that period begins here on earth. We're going to be taken out of the earth. And then this seven-year period is going to begin. This is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5. In verse 9, where it says, For God hath not appointed us, believers, to wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance, through our Lord Jesus Christ, or by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You might say, well, isn't that, is, is that talking about going to heaven, or is that talking about being delivered from the tribulation period? yes. Yes, I think it fits both, actually. It's a biblical truth either way. Let's move on. Number two, Jesus Christ, you'll see in verses 9 and 10 here, Jesus Christ provided reconciliation through his perfect payment for our sin. In verse 10, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, here it is, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, what is reconciliation? Well, reconciliation is bringing two opposing parties together. Something happens to make it possible for two parties to come together. Something needed to happen to make it possible for lost, fallen man to come into a relationship with perfect God. And what was it? That something was the death of his son. Jesus dying on the cross. Look, Here's lost man, here's God. Jesus came into the world, he went to the cross, and when he hung on the cross, he made it possible for man to be connected now with God. How? You just trust in Christ as Savior, you become a child of God, and you are reconciled now. 
you're reconciled back to him. How much more will we be secure in Christ forever, seeing we are his children, okay? God would never cast his children out. We're children of God. We're eternal children of God, okay? Verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, okay? Through the payment Jesus made, we have a payment for sin, but we also have the reconciliation for our sins. We can have joy knowing that we are eternally secure through the payment and the promise Christ made. His life, folks, listen, we have eternal life. Eternal life. And say, well, I don't, I don't think it's right that people can trust in Christ and then just go out and sin. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Who doesn't? Everybody still sins once they're saved. Does God want us to sin? No. Will we sin? Yes. See, what we want to do is we want to think we're better than other people. No, it's all by grace. The only way you can be saved is through faith in Christ. This atonement, this word atonement, means reconciliation or restoration or exchange. It's a change or reconciliation from a state of enmity between persons to one of friendship. One of friendship. What a glorious thing this is. Now what we do, beginning in verse 12, we start a series of comparisons between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Through Adam, there was separation from God. Through Christ, there is salvation and reconciliation. We see Jesus Christ is the great problem solver. Jesus Christ is the one who comes in and cleans up the mess. And he not only cleans up the mess, but he says, okay, I not only cleaned up the mess, I give you even more than just cleaning up the mess. Okay? Look at it in verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that? That's Adam. And death by sin. How did death come into the world? Through Adam's sin. Okay? Listen, it wasn't before that. Okay? Through Adam, sin came into the world, and we have paid for that ever since. The effects of that are not only spiritual death for us, but there's physical death, and there's the curse on creation itself in the world. The Bible is very clear about this, very clear about this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The one here, one man, of course, again, is Adam. The fact that all have sinned proves that sin was passed down through Adam. Okay, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. You notice that sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now, in other words, what is it saying? There is no law breaking without law as seen in the commandments, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't sinning before the law was given, because there was. Began with Adam and Eve. The first child born, Cain. He was a murderer. How's that? You might say, well, you know, man just digressed as time went on. No, right away. Sin's ugly, okay? Adam and Eve gave birth to sinners, okay? And everybody since then, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
is and was a sinner in need of salvation. There's still sin, though, even without, even before the commandments, there was plenty of sin. Okay, you, you read the Bible, and before the commandments were ever given, there was all kinds of debauchery and sin. I mean, in the days of Noah, right? The thoughts of man were only evil continually. And that's way before the law was given. Man was perverse and corrupt and perverted. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Do you see it? There is still death. Why? Because of sin. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. What is that referring to? Okay. No one else has sinned the sin of Adam. Why? Well, because his sin brought death upon the whole human race. That can't be duplicated. It was a one-time thing. Understand this, folks. People say, well, Adam and Eve, they were perfect. No, they weren't perfect. They were innocent, okay? They were untested. They weren't perfect in the sense of as righteous as God, but they were sinless at that point. Yes, they were sinless. But God gave them a choice because he made them people that had a free will. You know, the Calvinists say, well, there's no such thing as a free will. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They'll say everybody's depraved and all. There's no such thing as a free will. There's no such thing as a free will. What about Adam and Eve? God made them with a free will. Problem is they blew it. They made the wrong choice. And guess what? Mankind and creation has been paying for it ever since. This is the truth of it. You can't sin the same sin that Adam did might say, well, well, wait, though. When I was a kid, I remember going and stealing apples off of somebody's tree and eating it. Well, friend, listen, that's not the same thing. That's sin, okay, without permission doing that. I remember once when we lived in St. Joe and we had some apple trees there, and, and one year, you know, the, the apples finally came up, and we were all excited about it. We were looking at it. Isn't this great? And next day we go out and all the apples are gone from the tree. Well, the neighborhoods came, kids came and took them. They just took them off the tree. You remember that? It's like, hey, we would have given you some if you just would have asked. And you might say, well, isn't that the same? No, because number one, we know that in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't an apple. You might say, how do you know that? It was banana. (laughs) How do you know that? Because it had a peel. Okay, anyway, just seeing if you're awake here this morning. We don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. Might as well be. It doesn't matter, the fruit. That fruit didn't matter. The fruit that came after it has been a real problem, though. Sin. You notice this? Who is a figure of him that is to come. Who is the figure of him to come? There is a parallel between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it, by the way, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. But here, they are both in the sense of heads of groups of people. They both were the first of their kind. The comparison or contrast is seen in the verses that follow here. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. We'll get back to that in a minute. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more, much more, the grace of God and the gift 
by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And so through Adam, offense, sin, death. Through Jesus, a payment for sin, eternal life. Okay, and you notice the terms. Gift, verse 15, it says free gift. Halfway through verse 15, gift by grace. Now the word gift is used six times in this chapter. Three times it even says free gift. Why? I've had people ask, why does it say free gift? Aren't gifts free? Yeah, I'll tell you why it says free gifts. It's to put these blind theologians in their place, okay? Friends, children understand the gospel just fine. You know there are theologians today who teach that little children can't be saved because they can't comprehend all the details of what it means, what you need to understand to be saved. That is just total hogwash. Hogwash. They can understand they're sinners. They can understand they need a payment for their sin. They can understand Jesus was God who came and made the payment. And they believe, John 3.16, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have everlasting life. And they trust Christ the Savior and they're saved. Let me ask you this. How many of you are saved before age five? Raise your hand. Look at all the hands all over. Before age five. Okay. You can get it. Kids can understand. See, the problem is not can children understand it. The problem is can adults make it clear enough and stick to the language of the Bible. If you do that, kids can understand it. But we come up with all these other cliches that make no sense whatsoever. Little Billy, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Little little Billy, you want to be saved? Yes. Okay. Well, you need to give Jesus your heart. (laughs) You need to give him your heart. Why are you crying? How am I going to live if I give him my heart? Kids take it literally, don't they? Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Where do you find that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Yet they even go further with that one. Okay? Ask Jesus to come into your heart. You see, uh, what do you mean ask when you come? Well, here's the thing. You know, your heart has a door on it. Okay? Your heart has a door on it, and it only has a handle on the inside, not on the outside. So Jesus is knocking. But he's not going to force himself in because there's no handle on the outside, only on the inside. You have to open the door. Can you show that to me in the Bible anywhere? We have made it so complicated. We have made it so complicated. Friend, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Kids can get it. Let's just have confidence in the way God's given it to us and explain it that way. It's simply by putting your faith, believing, believing that Jesus made the payment for all of your sins. And kids get it, okay? But you know, it is hard for me as a pastor to believe how people want to argue this issue of it being a gift. Don't tell people it's a gift. You have to mean business with God, okay? You have to, you have to, uh, if you want to be saved, you have to be willing to pay a price, Do you understand what you just said? You have to be willing to pay a price. Wait a minute. 
Jesus paid the price. He obtained eternal redemption for us. And he offers it as a gift. What do you mean I have to pay a price? Well, that's what you got to do. You got to pay a price. You got to be willing to to change everything and forsake all and follow Christ if you want to get to heaven. Friend, that has to do with the way you live your life. So you're telling me I have to live a certain life if I want to make it to heaven. Well, God will give you the power to do it by his grace. That's what that means. It's a gift. No, that's not what it means. It means exactly what it says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We see him over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friend, have you ever understood that before? Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the first time you ever heard this. I hope you understand it. You see, in Adam, all die. In Christ, shall all be made alive. Sin is passed on through Adam, but the free gift of salvation is of much greater significance, and we get that through faith in Jesus Christ. We have much more through the God-man, Jesus Christ, than we could ever have through Adam. Even if we got restored back to where Adam was, which is a state of innocence, it's not the same as having the very righteousness of God. And it is a gift of grace. Therefore, because it's a gift of grace, it is undeserved and it is unmerited because that's the very nature. See, if it's by grace, it has to be a gift because if it's not unmerited, it's not grace. And if you have to merit it, it's not a gift. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. That's why the angels rejoiced the way they did at the birth of Christ. Because it was indeed good news of great joy. By the way, it says it shall be to all people, so it's good for everybody. Now look at the series of contrasts, verse 16. And not as it was by the one that sinned, which is Adam, So, and not as it was by one that sinned, Adam, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, that's Adam, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification, that's Christ. So you see here this this first one in verse 16, this contrast, the first is judgment came through Adam, but the free gift by faith came through Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The contrast between Adam and Jesus. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, which is Jesus Christ. So we see that death reigns through Adam, but life reigns through Jesus Christ. Adam messes it up. Jesus makes it better than it's ever been. Just as by one person Adam death reigned, by one person Christ life reigns. Verse 18, therefore as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Christ, the free gift 
came upon all men unto justification of life. By the way, verse 18 basically does away with any idea of this false doctrine called Calvinism today. Why do I say that? Well, look what it says. By the offense of one judgment came upon how many men? All men. What does that mean? Does that mean everybody? Yes, it means everybody. Okay. Even so, the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon. What? All men. You know, I I think if we're honest with the text, it's talking about the same people as the first part of the verse. So if judgment came upon all men, no one excluded, then the free gift is available for all those same people, no one excluded. We see third, we see condemnation through Adam in verse 18, but righteousness through Christ. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall many be made righteous, not innocent, righteous, okay? So we see we're sinners through Adams, but we're saints through Christ. Sinners through Adam, saints through Christ. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We see sin abounded, yet grace did much more abound, okay? Notice this, through Adam we're sinners, verse 19. Not through what we do, by the way. We're not sinners because we sin. Did you know that? We sin because we're sinners. That's why we sin. Years ago, we, uh, we, uh, we had a missionary in our home, him and his family, and I don't know where he got the idea, but he did not believe that children were born with a sin nature. Of course, his children were kind of acting it was, they only had one at the time, kind of acting like an animal in our house. I'm thinking, man, you need to have, you need to get your theology straight. You know, uh, we're all sinners, including little Lord Fauntleroy there. Um, <laughs> you've got an issue here, but he, I don't know. So when exactly do you get it? When then do you become a sinner? See, friend, let me tell you something. You better take care of your children when they're little. Now, I don't believe in, in, uh, in spanking uh, literal infants, okay? I don't, they don't believe in that. But they have a sin nature that needs to be dealt with. They're conceived in sin. A husband who's a sinner, a wife who's a sinner, when they come together, guess what they produce? A sinner. I know they're cute, but their sin's not cute. And they need to be properly disciplined and cared for and loved and, and trained properly. We sin because we're sinners, As one pastor said, it's just as natural for a man to sin as it is for a dog to bark or a cat to go meow. Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign. Sin reigned unto death because of who? Adam. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So death in Adam, death is an end result in Christ's life is the end result. In Adam, eternal death. In Christ, eternal life. What a contrast we see in these scriptures. Listen, one last verse I want to share with you. John chapter 6 and verse 47. I want you to see the simplicity of what God 
is asking you to believe. If you want to be a child of God, if you want to be saved from hell for all eternity, if you want to know you have a home in heaven, here's what Jesus said. Look at the language. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, that means truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, that's present tense, right now you have it. Notice what kind of life? Everlasting life. Friend, that is the only response that will bring salvation to you. Understanding, we're sinners, we can't save ourselves. That's why God sent Jesus into the world. Our good works can't save us. We got to be perfect to go to heaven. None of us are. But Jesus came and died for us. If here we are, we're here with our sin and here's Jesus. He came into the world, the sinless son of God. Therefore, he didn't have any sin of his own to pay for. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He made the payment so that we don't have to. He came back from the dead to prove it. And he says, if you will believe in him, Put your faith in him that he made that payment for you. He will give you that very moment everlasting life. Really? Yeah, really. Really. You mean it's not a matter of, no, it's a matter of believing. Remember, it's a gift. The only way he's going to give it to you is by gift. It's not a contract. It's a gift. He's offering it. You can have it. Will you trust Christ as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.